the University of California Riverside presents Blue, Gold, and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying Black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders, and community partners to explore the intersection of being Black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Blue, Gold and Black podcast, where we're amplifying black voices at UCR. We got a really dope special guest today, Kiona Henderson. She is the sitting president of the Black Alumni Chapter, plus much, much more. We're going to kind of get into her background, her history, her experiences at UCR and what she's doing to try and make sure that our black alumni are supported and current black students as well. Ms. Henderson, how are you doing today? I am doing wonderful. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing pretty good myself, trying to stay cool in this heat. But, uh, you, know, know. you know, we're going to get through it, right? As we always right. do. We're going to make it. <laughs> cool. So, all right, let's go ahead and just get started. So just, just really briefly, I already mentioned you're the sitting president of the Black Alumni Chapter. Um, but before we get into your background, just give us a quick shot, uh, snapshot. Who is Kiona Henderson today? I am, oh wow, I'm a lot. So I like to say I'm a renaissance woman. I do a little bit of everything. I am a full-time entrepreneur. I own my own personal and professional development company. The name of it is Positive Women Meetup, LLC. Mm. This is our motto, invest, empower, collaborate. And I'm also a realtor. So I have a real estate business, which I love. I absolutely love real estate. I'm a mom. I'm a wife, sister, cousin, you know. I am extremely black. You know, I don't want to uh i if if you know me if you're listening to this podcast right now you probably heard me describe myself as black af <laughs> i'm not gonna <laughs> say it all out you know uh for you on the podcast right, but right, i right. love being black and i love black culture and i'm just mm. you know out here trying to help people amplify their passion do what they're passionate about mm. and move the culture forward Beautiful, beautifully said. So we're going to unpack all of that, but let's go ahead and just take it back a little bit. Talk to us about your childhood, um, where you grew up and some of the experiences you had throughout childhood that were pretty instrumental in your life. Okay. So I was born here in California, in Los Angeles, California. I, uh, for the first seven years of my life, I was between Compton and Rialto, California. Um gotcha. Towards the latter end, like six, seven, you know, um, I lived in Rialto, you know, I was in a two parent household until about that age. And right before I turned eight, my parents separated, you know, my um, father was very abusive to my mother and to me and my siblings. I'm the oldest of three. And so literally my mom woke us up one morning and said, you know, we're out of here. So we had to escape. My father was asleep on the couch and... We left, got on a plane, and moved to Texas. And so I was in Texas from seven going on eight until about, I don't know how old you are in ninth grade, but I can't Mm -hmm. think of it right now. But anyway, ninth grade, I lived in Houston, Mm. Texas. And we kind of moved around, you know, in Houston. But um, I spent the majority of my time in A-Leaf. And right after that, I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, which I consider to be my home. Houston was very instrumental, Mm. but Memphis a little more so because I had family in Memphis. My grandfather, cousins, you know, aunts and uncles and stuff like that on my mom's side, you know. So I um, did high school in Memphis, Tennessee. And Mm. after that, a week after graduation, I moved back to Cali because I was just like, I need to I need to come back to Cali. (laughs) I was ready. You You know, that's a whole other story. But (laughs) yeah, yeah. I mean, that's already that's just quite an amazing story, you know, from seven years old till pretty much you finishing high school. Right. You've kind of spanned across the country a little bit, obviously not for, you know, the most positive of reasons. But, you know, once once your family left and you made it to Texas, kind of talk about some of those formative years in Texas. And also, I want you to mention, like, as you said at the top of the podcast, you're black AF, right? So really talk to us about like where that passion for our culture stems from. Well, that passion for our culture stems stems from my mother. She um, was very, very proud of being black and wanted 
myself and my siblings to be proud of it. She made sure that mm. we studied our black history. We knew um, mm. our history and we were interested in it, you know? So from a young age, we right. had like the black encyclopedia and she would have us mm. during the summers do research papers <laughs> on, right. you know, black inventors and just black people gotcha. outside of Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. she would have us constantly learn about our culture um, learning about who we are, where we came from, you know, our family history and things like that. She really wanted us, I feel like, to be proud of where we're from and to be well-rounded. And she knew that in school, especially at that time, I know it still happens now because I do it with my kids. Like my mm-hmm. kids, I buy books by black authors about black mm-hmm. people. And in addition to what they learn in school, just like my mother did with us, I I have control over what they learn at home, you know? So I introduced them to it little by little, you know, um, Mm -hmm. of black people and (laughs) what they come Mm -hmm. from. Like you come from good stock, you know? (laughs) So this is what our people did. So that is really my foundation. You know, my mother prepared us early for racism, especially Mm -hmm. living in the South. Like I said, I moved to the South when I was about seven years old and it was, it, it was much different. So like when I lived in Memphis, the KKK still marched. And they had police escorts, okay? Wow. And I was in high school from, what? What was that, like 99 to 03? I graduated high school in 03. So So, we're talking talking late 90s, right? Late 90s, early 2000s, and 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, KKK marching. And and real quick, real quick. That wasn't that that long ago. Real quick, though, because that's nuts. That's nuts because... You know, when you know, when you kind of get into conversations with some people that want to kind of like downplay racial inequities and, you know, the legacy of slavery and all of those things, like when even if we did say, okay, let's take it back to like that's three generations, two and a half generations. And like you're right there. You know what I'm saying? There is sharecropping into the early 1900s. So it's like you're in high school. You know what I mean? Late 90s, early 2000s, and they're marching. Yep. So it was, as you can imagine, that was very jarring, you know, because, okay, we know what the KKK is, and they have police escorts, so the police are protecting them as they walk down the streets to terrorize Mm -hmm. us, or, you Mm -hmm. know, to march because they want to be able to terrorize us. Like, that's, you know, just how I feel about it. So, that was very jarring, but my mom prepared us. You know, she prepared us before we got to the South, um, Mm -hmm. because she wanted us, she wanted us to know what black people had been through. Yes, we were slaves. You know, yes, uh, there's racism and this is what racism is. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. And so there would be no confusion, you know? So at an early age, I could recognize if somebody was being racist to me. I could recognize if somebody was being, you know, unfair to me because of the color of my skin, you know, my culture, my background or whatever it is. Because I'm black, you know, you're being unfair to me. And I had those experiences early on, but that made, yeah. I feel like I was articulate, you know? So I got in trouble a couple of times because not being disrespectful, but I would call a spade a spade, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not expected from a child. Right. And it's, but it's important because imagine if you'd have got to Tennessee and you didn't have none of that, that armor, that, that, that defense of, you know, knowledge and nurture. And it, 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 it it wouldn't have even meant that your mother or you were any less proud to be black. But if you weren't like very intentionally prepped for what was inevitably to come, your whole outlook, even as it stands right now, could just be totally different, even with the same amount of passion for black culture, just not being just right. not mentally or emotionally or intellectually like prepped for an experience like that could be extremely jarring as you just said right i had friends that weren't prepped and like you said it Mm. doesn't make them less black you know it just they they weren't warned (laughs) you Mm. know or they didn't have the experience or nobody told them Mm. so my reaction as you can imagine was a lot different in those situations because i'm like oh i know what this is you know so i Mm -hmm. while i might have had friends like oh no they're not being racist that was they were just and i'm like Mm. no that was racism. That, that's what it was, you, yeah. you, Right. You know, just flat out. And so mm. 
being, you know, calling that out early on, like, I'm, and I'm not going to say that, like, I wasn't nervous in the situations I was sure, in or, or scared or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I had already been, you know, trained, like, right is right, wrong is wrong. Speak mm-hmm. up for yourself. Speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. You know, mm-hmm. so it was just innately, I feel like, in me. And mm-hmm. so when I was confronted with situations, I was often the one that would speak out, even though right. I'm scared, you know, even yeah. though I'm like, oh, I don't know what's about to happen. But I'm just like, this isn't right. I need to say something about it, you know. And that's powerful. I mean, you can only be brave if you get scared, right? Because if you was never scared, there's really nothing to be brave about. So Brave about. It's, so- it's you know, it's important and impressive to, you know, be proud of that fact, I think, because like I said, it could be very easy to not be socialized the way you were. And again, it does, it does not mean that you're any less black or any black. of that right. nonsense. It's just, it's right. just, it's just the circumstances and the way people are when, raised when they're raised, etc. So, you know, so, right. I think that's amazing. Okay. So let's start transitioning into kind of like how you started pursuing higher education. Talk to us about that because you mentioned you're an entrepreneur and you very much value that. And I want to get into that, too. But you're also in you also pursued higher education. And, you know, sometimes you get these little entrepreneur versus college debates going on. And both sides of the story can be just as true. Right. So give a, give us your take on your pursuit of higher education. Well, I first of all, I want to say this. Um, getting Pursuing higher education was right for me. Mm. And I don't regret it. it. It has helped me in my entrepreneurship journey. You know, right. I previously had, I've had a whole other career before I became an entrepreneur. So mm. a higher education was something that I always knew I was going to do because it was just ingrained in me from a little girl. My mom was like, you're going to college. Right. And for mm-hmm. that, I want to say this, my mom, there was three of us. She had three children or she, you know, has three children. We're all still alive. Um, so I'm the oldest of three. Yes. And my mom always pushed Mm -hmm. higher education for us. But within that, she also said that I know that college isn't probably going to be for each one of you. So some of you are going to want to go to college and some of you probably aren't going to want to go to college. Maybe you're going to go later. Maybe you're not going to go at all. You're going to go get a trade. And so she sat down Mm -hmm. with each one of us and was like, you know, and had talks. My talk was your college material. I feel like you're going to go to college. I feel like you're going to want that for yourself Mm. because of the characteristics, I guess I was showing early, you know, and she said, you know, so I'm going to push you to go to college. And that's what she did. I was very creative. Uh, Me and my other two siblings were all very creative, but she was just like, I see college Mm. for you. And I wanted to go to college. I was like, oh yeah, college. I'm there, you know, because I always love to Mm. learn. So that was a no brainer for me. I always knew I was going to college. And um, later in life, so in high school, she always pushed college and get a scholarship. I played sports and my mom Mm -hmm. was always like, you know, you rather go for an academic scholarship than an athletic scholarship because she herself had dealt with getting hurt as an athlete. And I had an uncle who got hurt as an athlete. And she's like, you know, after that, the scholarship might go away. (laughs) So academic, you always got your mind, you know, and I ended up Mm -hmm. getting an academic scholarship. And so this is how I got to UCR. I got an academic scholarship. I got a full ride to UT Chattanooga, which is in Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm. And I got it. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of personal things going on in my life right then. So we had moved to Memphis, Tennessee. We had been going away from California at that point for about nine years. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom decided that it was, she wanted to move back to California um, or Mm. possibly somewhere else, but she was really heavily considering California. Now we had ran from, my father, who was abusive, okay? He yeah. was abusive. He didn't follow court orders, so we didn't have any visitation with him. He was on drugs, you know? He had a substance abuse yeah. problem. My mom being a victim, a do- domestic violence victim, us being domestic violence victims, because we both saw her be abused by our father, and he mm. abused us as well. Mm. She was scared. And mm. I understand it now. Back then, I didn't understand it. I got a full ride to UT Chat, and my mother made me give that scholarship up. So in my mind, I'm like, I did everything you said I was supposed to do. I worked hard. I got the academic scholarship. I want to go to college. Like, what am I missing here? She wanted me to go back to California where she felt like I had family that I hadn't, you know, gotten close to, you know, in those nine years um, that I need to, you know, get to know. And she was considering moving back to California. So she's like, I want us all to be together. And I don't want you to be out here by yourself because I don't know if your biological father like knows where we are, if he's going to try and like attack you Mm. because 
I remember very volatile situations with him. So I understand why she was fearful. You know, she's like, I don't want to leave you out in Tennessee alone. I'm leaving Tennessee. I want you Mm. to come where you have family or with me, where you have other Mm. family or with me, because, you know, my other family was in Memphis. Mm -hmm. Chattanooga's hours away. So got you. Long story short, you know, she uh, made me give up my scholarship and that really didn't sit well with me for years. She made me give up my scholarship. Me and my mother, for other reasons, we didn't, for that and other reasons, we didn't talk for years after that, okay? Um, wow. There was no communication. She moved and, you know, whatever, whatever. So yeah. I still wanted to go to college, though, because I wanted to. And so I was sure. like, I'm just going to grind it out. You know, I really wanted to go to UT Chat. My other big want was to go to an HBCU, but I didn't get a full ride to an HBCU. I love gotcha. my people. I love being around my people. In high school, it was like an all-black high school. Mm. And I loved it. I loved the feeling. I loved, you know, everything about it. So I was like, I want to go to an HBCU. Didn't get a full ride. Money's an issue. And so mm-hmm. money being an issue, I'm like, okay, either UT chat or I have to figure something else out. Now that UT chat is not an option because my mother made me give up the scholarship. Like, I literally had to write yeah. a letter and tell them, no, I'm, I, won't, I can't yeah. accept it, which hurt. So I go back to California. I come back, I come back here to California and I'm trying to figure life out. I also got into Berkeley. I also got into Mills, which is a private women's uh, school up north, but I didn't have money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't have money. And again, I wouldn't be around my family. I'm nine years away from Cali. I didn't learn how to drive in Cali. I didn't, you know, I don't really know my way around. And so I'm like, I don't have money. I'm not going to have family out there. I can't go that far away from my family. I don't have a car. So I just grinded it out and went to community college. And that's when I really found out that, oh, I can go to community college and get the same general ed classes and pay less for them. And so hold on, let's 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 kind of just expand, because obviously, you know, we 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 interact with tons of community college students. um, And I always tell students like the transfer route is a direct route to the university. I know sometimes it can get stigmatized like it's a roundabout way. um, It's almost a lot of times even more streamlined um, than coming right out of uh, high school in some cases. And and it really just depends on the particular student. So talk to us about like your experience specifically as a community college transfer student, right? Because like you said, general ed for a percentage, (laughs) a percentage of the ticket price out of four year, right? That's one benefit instantly. But talk to us about some of the other things that you experienced as a community college student that, you know, really kept you driven on that transfer process. Well, okay. So yes, it's, it's cheaper. Now I, for the first year had to pay out of state fees because I still was coming from out of state, but it still was cheaper than going to a university. So that was good. Um, There were, I feel like from talking to my friends who went straight to a university, um, I had a lot more options for work study to like help me pay for whatever Mm -hmm. I did need to pay for. Um, So I had a lot Mm -hmm. more options for work study and comparing it to my friends who were already at university. And it helped me acclimate into college life better, I feel. And that's huge. We just talked. It, it really <laughs> is. We just talked about socialization. Exactly. We just talked about socialization as it pertains right to our black identities. But let's just let's just apply that same concept to getting adjusted for college. I was a four point whatever Sorry. student in high school. You know what I mean? Okay. And right? But <laughs> I got to college and I realized it, uh, it's a bit different out here. Like life is going on, you know what I mean? Like you gotta right. work now, family's going nuts, like Whatever. Even if even if everything is perfect, you're a full blown grown up. And college is a bit different than high school. So the the acclimation process that community college can provide for students is huge. It's huge. huge. It is. I always when I'm talking to students who are getting ready and getting prepared for college, I always make sure to let them know that community college is an option, you know, and I know that there's a stigma around it because it's like, oh, well, you didn't start off going to a Cal State or a UC or a big university or college. And well, maybe you weren't good enough. I've heard students say that about themselves and others, Mm -hmm. why they didn't make Mm -hmm. it there. But really, you know, I mean, using myself as an example, I was good enough. I got Mm -hmm. into three or more colleges and universities, you know, off of my academics. I chose to go to a community college first because of money reasons. 
You know, yes. I could have said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to take out some loans and I'm going to go to, you know, um, yep. you, whatever Berkeley Mills, you know, UT chat, whatever, wherever I decide to go. And I'm just going to take out, you know, loans to pay for it. And that's usually right. what students do. And I mean, if that's what you choose and that's what you choose at that time in my life, I just felt so scared of having long. I'm like, I know I don't have a job. I'm already, mm. I'm not talking to my mother, which was, you know, my only parent. I don't know where my yeah. father is. I don't know what it's going to be like when I get to California. I don't mm-hmm. have any money. I really have to depend on me. So what's the best yeah. option? That's that's just yeah. how I felt. What's the best option? And the best right. option for me was to try and pay for school. And so mm. I went to community college. And I'm like, okay, looking at the prices, I'm like, okay, I can handle this. <laughs> right. You know, exactly. those, those UC and Cal State prices looking a little different. So right. that that's why I made the, the choice. And I really didn't have a problem off academics, I felt. You know, I didn't know that mm-hmm. college was going to hit a little harder than high school. Right. I felt fully prepared. Right. I was like, oh, I'm good. Right. I was an honor student. Yeah. I got all these uh, Rotary yep. Club, Club Awards. I got a scholarship. I'm good. You know, yeah. yeah. I was Listen, I was sashed and tasseled up. I yeah. felt like I was good. And so when I got to San Bernardino Valley College, I realized like, ooh, you not mm. you not that good, sis. Like mm. I was still a good student, but I really had to get acclimated to new study habits because I was mm-hmm. so used to just being good at school. I was just exactly. good. I was just good. Exactly. I barely had to try. I was good at school. I was an honor student. I played yep. track, uh, uh, basketball, and sometimes volleyball, and I did cross country. I was an ath- athlete all through high school, and I did yep. not. I didn't struggle. Exactly. And with my mm-hmm. academics. So, but mm-hmm. when I got to college, it's a whole new environment. You have, I yeah. got acclimated. I had to get acclimated to new study habits and also to be responsible, more responsible for my time mm-hmm. because it's all on you. The professor mm-hmm. is going to give you a, a two hour lecture and they're going to be like, go home and read chapters 10 through 20. And tomorrow mm-hmm. you have, you know, it's like, wait a minute, but I have a couple other classes and you want me to read 10 chapters and do oh, yeah. a five page. What? And they're like, yes, and we expect for it to be done tomorrow, you know, so it was it was very different. And and the other thing is the teachers aren't hounding you. They're like, oh, you show up. okay, or you don't show up, you know, oh, I didn't notice you were missing for three days. Did you do your work? You know, Mm -hmm. like, so you're really (laughs) a whole adult out here. Yeah, literally didn't notice you missing for three. Yeah, they were like, oh, you weren't here. Okay, well, you know, office hours. So getting used to that. And then also, you know, again, you a whole adult out here. So, you know, whether you have a job or not, whether you have transportation or not, you know, it's parties (laughs) everywhere, you know, new social circumstances and and friends that you're meeting. And it's always something going on because they're welcoming you to campus, being enticed Mm -hmm. to take out new loans, because at that time they were in the quad area, like come get Mm -hmm. this credit card, you get a free trip to Hawaii, you know? So just trying to wrap my mind around all these things, At Valley College, they really, at Community College, I went to San Bernardino Valley College, they really took Mm -hmm. a little more time with you to introduce you to different, I feel like, college concepts. So Mm. when I first got to, you know, class, they were like, yeah, they were like, yeah, you need to do your work and we're not going to be babysitting you about it. But they really, I feel, got me used to like what good study habits look like. They were like, this is what we want to see because Mm. when you transfer... You know, they wanted to know what you wanted to do. And when they found out I wanted to transfer, they were like, okay, so when you transfer, you're going to need this. So you need to get it now. You know, they put me on a plan, on the transfer plan. I knew exactly what classes I need to take to transfer and where, you know, and Mm -hmm. what I needed to do. The counselors, you know, comparing my time at UC Riverside to San Bernardino Valley College, I could just walk into the counselor's office or I could walk into my, um, Mm -hmm. I forget what they're called, but you know, so my department, well, I was an English major, so I was in the humanities department and mm-hmm. I forget the title at UC Riverside, but there's like, you know, this person that helps you to make sure that you have all your classes together and stuff. Your academic advisor. Academic advisor. So mm-hmm. I could just go see my academic advisor at community college. I could just knock mm-hmm. on the door. When I got to UC Riverside, I had to make an appointment and they were like, yeah, two weeks out, three weeks out, four weeks out. Or you could talk to they my assistant. of hundreds of students, right? right. They're working. They're working. It was, it was so, it was so different. The campus was huge at UC Riverside yep. coming from a community college. So mm-hmm. it was just a lot of things that I feel like I was prepared better for at community college. Not to say you shouldn't yeah. go straight to a big college or university because you're going to get it either way. You're going to figure right. it out. But right. it, 
for my situation, it really helped me. And I'm not ashamed mm-hmm. about being a transfer. I tell, I'm very proud that I was a transfer student. I paid mm-hmm. less money for my college education. And I feel like I was able to succeed because I got that groundwork at community mm-hmm. college. And when yeah, I, yeah. when I got on campus at UCR, you know, which uh, my situation was already different, but you know, my experience was a lot different because of that. I got there and I was mm-hmm. ready to work. You know, exactly. No. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad we spent some time on that because, you know, I want students to know like that not only is it a viable option, like depending on your circumstance, it can be a great, amazing, maybe even the best, maybe even the best option. So, so, so let's just real briefly, like, let's just talk about why UCR. You talked about wanting to, you know, have um, an HBCU experience, but, you know, there wasn't no money coming from that direction. So, okay, we're back at Cali and you pick UCR. So how do you get from the the HBCU desire to UCR? Let us know. So I still didn't have no money, (laughs) y'all. So I'm graduating from San Bernardino Valley College. You know, I got friends going to I had my best friend had already been at Cal State San Bernardino. She, yeah. from freshman year, she was at Cal State San Bernardino. And then I had a couple other friends going to some UCs, some going out of state. So I'm sitting here looking at my bank account like, I don't know if I can handle going out of state. I just got done paying because I was at community college for two and a half years, for two years, mm-hmm. almost two and a half. I just got through paying out of state fees for my first year. So yeah. my second year, you know, the price went down for my tuition. And I'm like, I don't want to go back out of state and have to pay out of state mm-hmm. fees again because now I'm a California resident officially. Exactly. So I'm thinking yeah. about that. Then I'm like, okay, where am I going to go? Because I still wanted to have some kind of like family, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to have some kind of connection. I didn't want to just be out somewhere and I was by myself. And right. I look back on that now and I feel like I wish I would have been braver in that moment making the decision mm-hmm. because I could have made it, but mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like I could at that time. I was just like, if I go out of state, I don't know. Who am, who am I going to ask for help? If I get lost, exactly. <laughs> who's going to pick me up? If I don't have no money, who's going to feed me? <laughs> you know, I could yeah. go right now mm-hmm. to my auntie house and she'll, something is in the refrigerator. So, right. I was dealing with that and again, didn't have any money. So wanting to go to an HBCU, I just wanted to be around my people, you know, like I just felt good and I missed that. I went to a high school where it was, a you know, majority black students. And I really miss that, you know, and the camaraderie that comes with that, you know, the inside jokes and you can just look at somebody from across the room and the, just everything that comes with black culture. So I basically looked at the stats. My best friend was trying to get me to come to Cal State and I was just like, "Eh, I'm not really feeling Cal State. And at that time, and I believe still to this day, just a lower percentage, UC Riverside had the highest number of black students out of all the UCs. And I was like, yes. oh, I'm going. That's where, that's where I'm going. So <laughs> I applied to UC Riverside. That's really the main reason. The other reason is I just gotcha. felt academically, UC, the UC system could provide me what I was looking for academically. Mm. But... The number Absolutely. one reason is because UC Riverside had the most black students out of all the UCs. And mm. I'm not shy about that. I wanted to be around my people. So I was like, all right, let's go. You know, I'm just going to apply and hopefully mm-hmm. I get in. It's not that it's down the freeway from Rialto. I planned on getting mm-hmm. a car. Like these are the things that are going through my mind. I'm like, I should have enough money to get a car. Absolutely. You know, I could ride mm-hmm. the bus at first. I could probably get dropped off. I can't ask somebody to drop me off in LA, you know, but I can ask somebody to drop me off in Riverside. Right. Right. So I'm like, I can get a car and it's down the freeway. I can still make it to work because I had a job like at that time, you Mm -hmm. know, I had, I had a Mm -hmm. couple jobs and I'm like, okay, I still need to work. I already have a job. I don't have to worry about finding another job. And it just fit. Mm -hmm. It just fit Mm -hmm. for me. Got you. So, you know, just talk a little bit about, your undergrad experience, because that's going to kind of lead us into the work that you're doing or what ins- what inspired you what to inspired become you? the sitting president of the Black Alumni Chapter. Um, so just talk about some of the experiences you had while you were actually an undergrad at UCR. Challenges, positives, mentors that you came across in, yeah, all of that. Okay. So... Again, I, you know, like many college students, I was a broke college student and I was working like two and three jobs. By the time I got on campus at UC Riverside, I was a security guard. (laughs) I was also at the same time a life skills coach for people with disabilities. So they could be blind, they could be deaf, they could be. And I kind of got into that at a work study job, San Bernardino Valley College, where I was Mm. reading for or not reading 
Um, yes, I was reading for the blind. So I nice. was a life skills coach. And also worked at an after-school program. <laughs> so at any given time, it was two or three jobs, depending on what season it was in the year, right? And right, right. I had to do this to stay in school so I, so that I could pay my tuition. I, I did not take out one school loan my whole college career. Wow. I didn't take out wow. one school loan. And That's again, impressive. you I'm know, <laughs> I'm proud of it. I'm, I'm proud of it. I really am. No, you At the you same time, I'm like, I could have relieved myself a little bit, but I was so afraid of debt. And I'm not saying that other people should do it. That was my prerogative. Look, you know? It's called delayed gratification. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's called delayed gratification. Yeah, it, re- it definitely Whatever. paid off in other areas of my life later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. um, I'm already working two and three jobs and I get on campus and... I'm basically from work to school, work to school. And I really, again, I came here because I wanted to be on campus, you know, get to know other black people. Um, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to get the college experience, you know, and get to know other people, not just black people. But I wasn't really able to do that because I was work school, work school. So somebody referred me to African student programs. I don't know why I didn't know about African student programs beforehand. Maybe I did because I remember going to orientation and I actually remember the director, the then director, Ken Simon, speaking at orientation. But for Mm. some reason, it just wasn't on my radar. So somebody Mm -hmm. I took a class with was like, yeah, you should come down to African student programs. The director is cool. You know, that's where everybody kick it at. And, you know, just kind of get involved like that. And so I said, "Okay." so one day after class, right before I had to go to work, I went over there. Mm -hmm. I met the director. He was extremely welcoming. Um, Again, his name um, is Ken Simons. He's not the director now, but he was then back there. I was there from 06 to 08. And um, he just welcomed me into ASP. I told him that I wanted to talk to him because I really wanted to explain my situation and see if he could, you know, help give me some guidance, you know? So I didn't have any guidance at that point, you know? And Mm -hmm. so he said, cool, I got time right now. We went to his office and I just told him my story. I told him about me leaving California at seven, where I had been, how I got here, turning down the scholarship, going to community college. Now I'm at UC Riverside. I love black people. I want to be more involved. This is what I plan on doing with my life. And he was just like very, very motivated and encouraging. You know, he was just like, you know, there's a place for you here in African student programs. You know, anytime you could come here, you know, hang out, take a load off. If, you know, you feel like overwhelmed or, you know, just the communal aspect, the familial aspect, coming here and like hang out, you know, and we can find resources for you and, you know, whatever. He was just like, we can help. We're a resource. And immediately after that meeting, he introduced me to everybody sitting in ASP. And it was, at first when I walked in, it was jarring because, you know, I walked into ASP and everybody just kind of turned around, right? So when he brought me, (laughs) I've heard it's kind of the same way. So Like our people do. (laughs) Right, you know? So he brought me back out. He introduced me. He was like, everybody, this is Kiona. Kiona, this is everybody. And I think he probably called out a couple people's names or whatever. And after that, they was like, oh, what's up? You know? And so I remember going back to ASP every now and then. I didn't have a lot of time because I was still working, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. so I would go there and I just felt for me, it was a safe haven. I got involved in a couple things. Like I was editor of the Voice newspaper for a short minute. um, And I found that connection through ASP, attending the African Black, uh, is it? Yeah, the ABC conference, the African Black Coalition. I believe that's the full name of the of mm-hmm. it. That's what the ac- acronym stands for. And a couple other things, you know, because mm-hmm. of just going into African student programs, you know. So although I remember it being a little mm-hmm. jarring at first, it ended up really being like a safe haven for me and a place where I just felt mm-hmm. like, you know, I could go and just, you know, hang out, even if I didn't go in there and talk to anybody because I've, I'm an introvert, believe right. it or not. <laughs> but I would go in there a lot of times and just chill, you know, and just sit down or whatever before yeah. I had to go to work or something. Yeah. And all of that still stands true today. You know, any black student, any student, honestly, but particularly black students, you know, you got to go through ASP, go to ASP. They're going to plug you with resources that you need. They're going to introduce you to, you know, new friends, new opportunities. Um, and it is a safe space on campus. So definitely big shout out to them. Um, and I'm glad that your experience as well was, you know, super positive. So now let's kind of let's kind of get into your finishing up undergrad. You know, what what really started driving your entrepreneurial spirit after undergrad? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't really get the entrepreneurial spirit until years later. So mm-hmm. for me, I, I wish I had taken, I wish I had majored in business. 
So I majored in English while I was there. My, I, I loved English, reading, writing, all of that good stuff, you know. Um, right. And so that's really why I did it. I wanted to, my, my original goal was to become an attorney. And I just felt like, you know, writing is the basis of everything, you know, with that reading and writing, whatever, because you can major in anything and go to law school. So that's just what I preferred. So that was my plan. And what ended up happening is I didn't get into law school. So everything in my life, I feel like academically had just gone a certain way. Right. I was just like, I always had got good grades. I really didn't have to try too hard. I got to college. That changed a little bit. But I still didn't have a terrible time studying in college. After I got acclimated, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm good. You know, and Mm -hmm. I felt like getting into law school was just going to be a breeze. And it wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was not, you know, and it really hurt me. Because I wasn't able to do a lot of extracurricular things because I was taking care of myself in college. I was working two and three jobs, you know, so I didn't have time to like play sports or to be, you know, um, on a board for one of the organizations because I was working and I feel like that hurt me, you know, in the end. I mean, I. life played out for me how it played out and I really I don't have any regrets about it but that hurt me so when it came time to apply for law school you know I had a lot of work experience but I didn't have really have like volunteer stuff they didn't really see me as a student and this is just my perception um they didn't really see what I had done like as a student or whatever and I was so young and I, I got a lot of the questions from these law schools like well what organizations were you in and I'm like none so anyway um I became a probation officer. So I was working at an after school program. They promoted me to supervisor and I worked that for a couple of years. And, you know, the next chapter, it was time for the next chapter. I really wanted to be in law. And so I had studied for the LSAT again, taken the test, applied again, and it just wasn't working out. Okay. So I was like, I just can't hold on to this and not like move forward in my life. Like I can still have this goal, but I need to be making money because I have goals. Like, you know, I want to get, you know, an apartment, whatever it was I wanted to do, get another car. Like I needed more money. So after I got my college degree, I accepted the promotion at my current job to be a supervisor for the after school program. And then I think two years after that is when I became a probation officer. I applied to be a probation officer my graduating year from UC Riverside as a backup plan, but they went on freeze And two years after I graduated, they called me and they were like, hey, you know, um, we have openings. And so at that time, you know, I had um, a family and, you know, I was married, had my daughter and I thought this would be a good career change for me. And I'll get to learn law kind of on the back end. So Mm -hmm. I'll have some, you know, real life experience the next time I apply to law school. That was my whole goal. Right. That was my plan. I was like, okay, I'm gonna be a probation officer for a few years and then I'm going to apply to law school because ultimately that's what I still want to do. So Mm -hmm. I got into probation and initially I liked it. I really liked it because I I'm a change agent. Like in everything that I do, I'm a change agent. That's what I bring to the table. That's one of the things I bring to the table. And so I said, you know what? I really like my first assignment was working with juveniles and I worked um, as the PO for a diversion program. And I was like, I really love this being able to like help change the lives of these, these minors, you know, they made a mistake and now I can help them change and do better and see what else the world has to offer and like, see what their potential is and that right. whatever they're passionate about, they can really do it. I like this, right? And so then I got mm-hmm. another assignment where I could kind of do that with adults too. And mm-hmm. so I liked it for a couple of years. And then, you know, it came to another point in my life where I was like, man, I need to switch the chapter. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get into law school, but life, I had a second child. And my um, my husband, when I met him, he was an entrepreneur, but I didn't understand it. I was just like, are you broke or not? Nah? Like, what what does that mean? What what do you that was my main question when I met him. Like, do you do you have money? Can you pay right. bills? You know, can you take care of yourself? And we right. laugh about that now. But I was dead serious, you know, and he was successful in his entrepreneurship. But I just did not understand it. Sure. Now I get it. And I wish I had I wish I was a business major in school because I don't know how I missed this throughout my life, but I really should have been a business major. Like I really should have. So Mm -hmm. after a few years of him, of being around my husband and seeing him, you know, go through his entrepreneurship journey and then me really connecting with what I was passionate about. So I mentioned earlier that I've always been a creative, like I've always been a creative, but my mother always presented it as like an option, like a a side thing, like, Oh, we'll Mm -hmm. be creative on the weekends. You know, my mom, Mm -hmm 
was a poet, you know, um, I got the poetry bug early on. I've been published, nice. you know, and um, I just thought it was something to do on the side. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. my mom always was like, get a job, a salary paying job, work it for 30, 40 years, retire, then you have fun, you know? Right. And yeah. that's yeah. where I was, that's where my mind was. Right. Meeting my husband and then, you know, being around like his friends and network and they're like, why you got to wait till you retire to have fun? You know, why do you, right. why don't you do what you're passionate about? You want to go to work every day and be miserable? And although I wasn't miserable at probation, especially when I first started, like as a probation officer, I was, you know, I like being able to help make a difference in people li- people's lives. What started happening mm-hmm. for me is, you know, now I'm a mother of two. I want to mm-hmm. be more involved in my children's life. And mm-hmm. I'm passionate about empowering women. So I started while I was at UC Riverside, I kind of saw this. I'm like, man, you know, men get together and I feel like men are able to easily empower each other and hang Mm -hmm. out and all of this stuff. But Mm -hmm. women, I felt like not so much for whatever the reason is. And I want to see that happen, you know, with women. So I -hmm. just started having informal meetups. Basically, I would just invite a bunch of women that I thought were influential, that had something cool going on, that were positive to go for dinner, a movie. And that's all it was at the beginning. I just wanted women to meet up and collaborate with each other, mentor, network. And it just transformed over the years. So I think now I'm like nine years in and what started out just as a passion project for me, me just wanting to get women together to empower network and support each other turned into a business. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, man, I would love to do this. So I'm, you know, working as a probation officer, but on the weekends, now I'm getting hired for speaking engagements. Now people mm-hmm. are want to consult me to find out how I threw a successful event. Like my positive women meetup event for three years was sold out every quarter. Every event was sold out. You know, I was able nice. to get sponsorships from com- mm-hmm. from big name companies and things like that. And I was just really making an impact, a positive mm-hmm. impact. And this is something that I had it had always been a part of me. I was always the friend that was like, you can do it. Yes. You know? And I just thought it was, I didn't think much of it, but when I really got into it and I was like, man, I'm really helping people amplify what's already in them. You know, this is a talent. This is an expertise. Mm -hmm. And I love speaking. I love empowering people. That's how Mm -hmm. I came into entrepreneurship. It was, it was pretty much by mistake. I think because I always intended it to be a side thing. I always was like, Oh, I'll just do a meetup on the weekend. I'll just do this on the weekend. I'll just whatever. And then I realized I feel better doing this than I do, Mm -hmm. you know, doing like my probation work. Like I still, it fulfilled me to a certain point, but you know, dealing with the, um, climate, the, the, the climate of racism, you know, in America right now, as you can imagine being a probation officer, it was conflicting at times. <laughs> yeah. To say the least. Yes. So I just really decided it was time for a new chapter in my life and I didn't want my children to grow up, you know, and, uh, graduate high school, go off to college. And now I'm like, y'all let's hang out. Let's go on trips right. because I didn't have right. time before. It was a very stressful it was a high anxiety job. Um, mm-hmm. It was uh, long hours often. You know, I'm mm-hmm. home and I'm mentally exhausted. And yep. I just wanted to, I wanted to feel good more, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, not even down in that job or anything, but just for me, I was just like, I want to do something else that mm-hmm. is going to amplify my passion. I want yeah. to acknowledge what I'm good at and do that every day. You know, instead of sometimes, you know, and I feel like I would have done better in that. And thankfully, you know, I had the support at home. And so I just said, you know what, full time entrepreneur, I had gotten my real estate license, my husband and I a couple years prior. And Mm we're just like, you know what, we're just going to do this, you know, with real estate it's building generational wealth, which I absolutely believe in. And I just wanted to figure out a way to help my people again. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. what can I do to help? to help us, you know, do better than we've done in the past and to, you know, find out how we can be wealthy, how we can be rich, how we can have more of our time with ourselves and with our children, with our families. And so beautiful, first off. But now... (laughs) That was a lot. Thank you. Yes, it was. So beautiful, first off, first and foremost. Thank you. So let's now let's take all of this context, right? Right. Your yes. background, your upbringing, your love for the culture, your love for education, your love for entrepreneurship. Let's take all of that and tell us how that now manifests itself into the Black Alumni chapter. 
Well, um, I use a lot of my talents and expertise in the Black Alumni chapter. I just, you know, I, I was a secretary. I came on board as a secretary a few years ago under mm-hmm. um, the then president, which is Burt Wright, um, who's also mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, might I add. And mm-hmm. I just really wanted to be involved, you know, because when I was on campus, I wasn't able to be involved as much as I wanted to. And I always said mm-hmm. that, you know, after I graduate and I'm able to, I want to mm-hmm. do more, you know, because I know as a black scholar here on campus how much I needed, how much direction, mm-hmm. how much money, you know, how much like time I needed. And mm-hmm. I, I wish I could have like gotten connected to a black alumni that could have helped me figure some of this stuff out. Right. And yeah. not to say that there weren't black alumni connected back then, but I was never connected with a black alumni and I didn't even mm-hmm. really know that it was like a thing, you know? Sure. So I wanted to get back involved and I just reached out, you know, to the black alumni chapter then and said, you know, Hey, I want to, you know, how do I get on the board? You know? And mm-hmm. so I applied for it. There's like an application process and everything. They had a position open for secretary. I was like, cool, I'll do it. And I let the president know Bert Wright. I was like, listen, I want to be the president of the Black Alumni Chapter eventually. So that's what mm-hmm. I'm here for. <laughs> you know, I'll, yeah. I'll do work. I'll do work. But, you know, mm-hmm. I would like to um, be able to promote to that position. And he was like, mm-hmm. okay, I got you. You know, he was like, basically, you know, yeah, put in work and we got some things to do. And if the opportunity arises, then, you know, of course, I'll let you know. And it did. Basically, it did. Right. You know, um, I got voted in as president. Um last mm-hmm. year so i've been president of the black alumni chapter um since april 2019 and Thanks. it's really a collective effort it's not just me you know being a leader isn't about you know like telling people what to do because it's not like that at all with the black alumni chapter it's really just about like facilitating ideas you know mm-hmm. and being able to you know be the one sometimes to kind of like um you know take on the hard things you know because it, it's really a hard position to be in I feel like being the president of anything. So it's not sure. a breeze, but I really want to be a change, continue to be a change agent. I want to affect mm-hmm. positive change in our community, in our village, you know, for our black scholars yeah. on campus and for our black alumni. And so, right. you know, Bert did a great job in his own right. And I'm just kind of picking up where he left off and also right. inserting some of, you know, my new ideas into the black alumni chapter. Um, and it's important for me because I want to see our black scholars succeed. I want to provide them with things that I know when I was a black scholar, I needed. I want them to feel heard and listened to. I want them to receive direction. Everything might not be a yes, we can do it, but some things might be like, well, you know, we can't go about it that way, but we can do this. I would love to get to the point with the black alumni chapter where, you know, we're still building, we're still building our network, right? Trying to get more black Mm -hmm. alumni from UCR to be involved to, and not just give money, but to give up their time, you know, to mentor mm-hmm. and things like that. I would love to get to the point where if any black scholar contacts the black alumni chapter and they're like, Hey, I'm a social major, I'm a sociology major. And I'd like to get connected with the black alumni. That was also a sociology major. I want to be able to say, Hey, mm-hmm. I got five people on the list. Let me go down the list and contact them. So you can get a phone call or email exactly. a zoom with each of them. You know, I want to yeah. be able to say, Oh yeah, I know a lawyer at such and such firm that's black alumni and they can help you out, you know, with a recommendation letter, with a mentor session, you know, with lunch, whatever mm-hmm. it is. I want to be able to call on my black alumni and say, hey, we have about 20 black scholars that need groceries, you know, um, yeah. to really just give back because it really does take a village. And no matter yeah. what anybody's, you know, circumstances are, everybody comes from a different set of circumstances past. It does not mean that mm-hmm. you don't need help when you get to college, you know. Um, there's right. a lot of things to tackle within that, but I just really want the Black Alumni Chapter to, you know, be in that position where we can give back to our Black scholars and our Black scholars mm-hmm. see us as a resource. Absolutely. No, I I think that's amazing. Um, and it's just it's just very important that throughout different stages of your life that that aspect of community exists, right? right. So, oh, yeah. so it came oh, yeah. into it came- play, you know, when you were an undergrad and you walked into ASP, you know what I'm saying? And it's coming into play now when you were part of uh, the Black Alumni chapter as a secretary and just got really impassioned about it and pursued the presidency for it. And that's in the whole, the whole concept is right. Making sure that the hand is extended backwards, right? Because someone out there is looking for that hand. It's just a matter of reaching them. So, you know, I really want to commend you on the work that you're doing. Um, for black oh, scholars um, coming out of UCR for sure. So 
uh, obviously, super fascinating conversation. So many gems that we can pick out of here. But I always want to end on this note. And it's just a little something I want to call black optimism, right? Um, If it wasn't for the people before us looking forward, we wouldn't be here having this conversation. So like when you look forward with all of the work you're doing with your personal business, all of the work that you're doing with the black alumni chapter, right? What is your most optimistic or maybe even radical vision for our future black UCR scholars? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I just want our UCR black scholars to to be louder, to, mm. you know, um, to be more influential. These are all things mm-hmm. that I already see in our black scholars. Y'all loud. Mm-hmm. And I like it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and right, just to exactly. keep to keep to keep making sure that your voices are heard, you know, and this mm. is all inclusive. Every single black scholar, you know, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter your ability, your disability. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm your you know what gender you identify with it doesn't matter mm-hmm. i you know i know that people are having this talk about who's black and who's black enough no you know everybody right. okay right. everybody right. <laughs> every yeah. black scholar okay um yes. that they're louder they're more influential and that they you know feel supported on campus at uc riverside because the black mm-hmm. alumni chapter can provide support, you know, but what we're kind of fighting against right now is getting supported from the UC system. And, you know, in my wildest dreams, there our numbers will stay the highest. We'll have the Mm -hmm. highest number of black students at UC Riverside. We'll be the loudest. We'll be the most influential. We'll have the most change agents, you know, and we're just, we're not going to stop that. We don't stop. we never give up and we don't stop. Because we need more black scholars out of UC Riverside in research. We need more black Mm -hmm. scholars out of UC Riverside in law, you know, in all the fields, okay, Um, in engineering. Mm -hmm. And we're really doing great things. And I just don't want us to get discouraged right now at this point because Mm -hmm. we're capable of so much, you know. So louder and more influential and all inclusive. Mm -hmm. All inclusive. I want everybody to be included. Everybody, no matter, like I said, disability, ability, or whatever gender they identify as, I want Mm -hmm. everybody to be included, loud, and influential. And, you know, I can't say it any better than that. I think that's the (laughs) perfect conclusion um, to this fantastic interview that we had. Um, Kiona, thank you so much for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black We're super happy to amplify your voice um, and we're definitely going to have to have you back on in the future because this was just such a great conversation. Let me know. know. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, you know, and the questions were great. So I hope that everybody gets something out of this and I'm just very appreciative. (laughs) I'm very, very appreciative. You know, what you're doing is great. Shining the light on, you know, black culture and, Black at UC Riverside. I love the podcast name, too. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So we'll catch you guys next time on Blue, Gold, and Black. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later.